0: Who are staying up here. Uh, again, if you're new or visiting, we're walking through uh, this sermon series about the seven deadly sins. And I have to continue to remind you because I know I need remind, reminding myself that every sin is deadly, right? And so it's not just one of these seven. Now we happen to be on the fourth out of this seven uh, sermon series. And so uh, today, of course, you may already know that we are going to be talking about sloth. Now, that part in that movie, I, I think, is absolutely hilarious, and, and sometimes I feel like those who are driving in front of me must be sloths. Uh, now, sloths are very cute, they're very cuddly looking, although they're so slow that apparently moss actually grows on them uh, from where they live. And, uh, and, and so it's funny, you know, when we see it took him a long time to get the joke and that kind of stuff, but really, uh, slothfulness, being sluggardly, being lazy, in fact, is no laughing matter, Right? In fact, Scripture talks about it as a sin. Maybe the most famous parable of Aesop is, is, is one that you've heard before. Uh, and, and by the way, Aesop didn't invent this himself. You can find it in Scripture, and we're going to read the Scripture in just a moment, but I want to tell you this fable of the ant and the grasshopper. In a field, one summer's day, a grasshopper was hopping about, chirping and singing to his heart's content. Along came an ant bearing upon its back with great toil some corn, with which he was taking to his nest. Why not come and chat with me, said the grasshopper, instead of toiling as you do. I'm helping to lay up food for winter, said the ant, and I recommend that you do the same. Why bother with that, replied the grasshopper. We have plenty of food at present. The ant went about his way, continuing to toil. When winter came, the grasshopper had no food and found himself dying of hunger. While the grasshopper perished, he saw that the ants were distributing corn and grain every day, from the stores that they had collected in the summer. Although it was too late, he then knew it is best to prepare now for latter days of necessity. And so, as you see, sloth is no laugh, laughing matter. And so, in Proverbs, we see these same kind of parables. In fact, I believe this is where Aesop got it. And so Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 is the one that I think he was, he was stealing this from. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Three more I have for you. Proverbs nineteen twenty four. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now that's lazy right there. Proverbs 24. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. And then uh, maybe what you might call the, the proof text or the main text for us this morning. Uh, Proverbs twenty four thirty 30 through 32. I have here and you have with you I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone was stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it, I looked and received instruction. And that's what I hope that we can do this morning. I hope that I may, and God's word primarily may, and the Holy Spirit as a tutor through that word, may give us some kind of instruction. Because brothers and sisters, we need it. We see in that text, if you have it on the Bibles with you, or if you can just uh, bring your minds back for a moment, it says that this was a sluggard and, and this was somebody who was lacking sense. It was somebody whose walls were broken down. It was somebody whose field was overgrown with thorns and nettles. They lacked sense, and so therefore things grew. Rest assured, my friends, that things will grow whether we are tending the garden or whether we allow it to go and be sown because Satan also sows. And the walls were broken down, giving no defense. See, lazy living will produce a life that is filled with temptations and ultimately leads to destruction. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, Help us to understand and to repent. Help us as we live in a country that is so filled with luxury, that is so filled with ease for us to not cause to make it an an idol in our hearts. Let us value, cherish, and pursue work. Help us to repent from laziness sluggardly lifestyle and protect us from that for ease is a subtle mistress indeed and so god we lift this message before you we lift this reminder before you we lift ourselves before you and ask that you would shine your light in our hearts expose these areas of slothfulness in them and and do the work in us help us to repent from them and, and remove that it's in your name we pray Amen. So it, you, you, you may already be convinced, but I want to give you some reasons that we should pursue work and some of the blessings from work. And, and then of course, talk about some rest from work as well. So as we get into this topic of sloth, like I said, the first thing I want to do is cover some reasons for work with you. So again, if you're a note taker, I'm going to have some things underlined and we're going to go over this. And, and if you miss any of these notes later, uh, you can go ahead and rewatch the sermon or you can just ask me and I'll I'll fill them in for you at a later date. But uh, firstly, a reason for work is, is very simple. God created it. Um, and, and maybe you don't believe that, but I hope that you'll believe that after I show you these couple of proof texts. In Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so before that, there was nothing that was made. And in this creation narrative, if you go through and read Genesis, you'll come starting there, and then you'll find your way to this verse in Genesis two, two it says, "In the um, and and the seventh day, God finished His work, meaning that is what He did. And after He had done that, He rested on the seventh day from all of His work that He had done. And so it even classifies the creation narrative as a method of work that God does. Now, now we have to understand. That the work that we do and that we think about is very different from what God did. And scripture is very clear. It says he spoke and then it was. And so that doesn't, I know you're thinking, well, that doesn't seem like very hard work. Well, uh, you try it, right? (laughs) And so uh, the fact of the matter is God refers to it as work and he sets a precedence for work and he sets this precedence for rest. And then, if that's not enough for you, in verse 15 of that same chapter, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so we see throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, we see that this is before the fall, and that God is a God who works. In fact, he's a God who's working currently. If we're honest with how we interpret things, he's working right Now, he tells us that his word will not return to him void, but rather it will have its due effect, meaning that brother or sister in Christ, the the, the miracle that is taking place that we often don't consider. Here's the miracle. Are you ready? That God uses a finite, fallible sinner to audibly read and exposit his living word to other finite fallible sinners and the Holy Spirit deigns to be in our midst and in our very person to change the heart of stone to a heart of flesh and this is all happening in your midst currently. So if you get nothing else out of today's message, you can leave today by telling all your friends and your family, I saw a miracle today. And then they'll say, what are you talking about? And you can explain to them how what we're doing currently is miraculous. God is working now. The sun is working now. The spirit is working now. But also we see here by these texts, I hope, and especially this one right here, this is before the fall. This is what we are created to do. So as much as you might want to have been created for simply the enjoyment of the hunt or the enjoyment of fishing or the enjoyment of shopping or the enjoyment of, you know, whatever it is. Those times of rest is not ultimately what you are created to do. You are created to work. And he says after this, it is good. And he gave us this as a gift. And so my first point then is, of course, that God created work. Work. Second is that he commands work, which is his right to do and would make sense if he created it. It would make sense as image bearers. So think about this again, right? It says that God had done his work and then he had rested from his work that he had done and we are his image bearers. And so then it makes perfect sense that he would then command, hey, you represent me. You ought to do the things I do, right? And so he commands us to work. See in Genesis 3.19. This is after the fall, of course, but it doesn't change the fact that we are commanded. He he says, uh, in fact, I would say this is why it's necessary that he commands it because Adam and Eve understood intrinsically before the fall that they were to work. And then after the fall came the spirit of laziness that we all deal with, right? I looked up some things on the internet. I, I, I'm not going to share them with you. You can do that yourself. But I looked up you know, people who are taking laziness too far. And there was all these different kinds of images of people. You know, Somebody was laying on the couch with a glass table over them with their phone on top of the glass table over their head so that they could just lay there and watch you know, TV on their phone or whatever. There was somebody who was uh, working at a desk uh, with the refrigerator door open by their desk so they could work and then reach into the refrigerator and grab their food and sit at their desk. And they, all kinds of wonderful things. Somebody had a straw super long so it was attached to the table and they could sit back in their Lazy Boy recliner and suck in whatever beverage they were drinking on so that they could not have to move their head. But, but God commands work, and so even after the fall we are supposed to work. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken... For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But also, in Exodus, he tells us, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Teenagers, this is not the proof text to use against your parents for having a day off. Wink. And we so often as churches, we, we, we quibble over, well, what, what day is the Sabbath, right? What, when should we do that? Or keeping a Sabbath. Now, I have an interesting career, interesting call. Today is probably your Sabbath. Today is clearly not my Sabbath. I have to take a different Sabbath. Mine is Monday. Don't call me. No, I'm just kidding. You, you can call me. It is Monday, but uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid. I'm here for you, and I, and I love you. So we quibble over which day is supposed to be a Sabbath. But often I, I don't think we're quite as uh, willing to look at this text the other way and say, no, we're supposed to work. Six days we're supposed to work. You're spoiled if you get two days off. Six days we're supposed to labor. Six days we're supposed to do all our work, and then on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, we're supposed to rest. And by the way, we're supposed to rest on that day, not so that we can go hunting or fishing or camping or shopping or boating or whatever. We're supposed to rest on that day so that we can dedicate that day to the Lord, so that we we can worship the Lord for the work that He is doing. And so we're to work these six days. Paul says this. He says, "He who does not work should not eat." of course, I don't know if we believe that in this country. I don't know if we even believe that in this church necessarily, but we ought to. It's in scripture. And so God created it. God commands it, but he also, praise the Lord, he commends it. You should be thankful for that. It is really difficult, isn't it? If you are commanded to do something and then receive no reward from it. Our God is not like that. Proverbs twenty-eight, nineteen: whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. God will bless the work of your hands. And I'll make that statement unequivocally. And, and, and you may say, preacher, that sounds an awful lot like the health and wealth gospel that you also tell us not to do. Well, uh, no. Because the health and wealth is saying, hey God, I, I'm, I'm just going to uh, not do much, but just trust that you're going to make up for whatever I'm not doing. I'm just going to name it and claim it and speak those things into the universe. And what this scripture says is, look, if you work heartily, God will make sure that you always have something on your plate. I distinctly remember when I proposed to my wife. We were out on South Haven's Beach because that's where she loves to go. She has since indoctrinated me. But we love to go to the beach, and so that's where we were at. And So I thought this is the perfect place to propose to the woman I would love to marry. And so we're out there on the beach, and I proposed to her. And in my speech, which was eloquent, as you can guess, I said something to the effect of, you know, you see these houses that we we walk by, and we we watch, and we, we look at. And I can never promise you a house like that. But what I can promise you is that you will always If I am able, physically able, unless I am dead, you will have a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food on your plate, and that's that's all I can promise. And so if that's good enough, then maybe I'm your man. And can you believe she said yes? (laughs) I'm still uh, amazed by that. But uh, God's word tells us that whoever works his land will have plenty of bread we were created and commanded, will he then withhold from you? And of course the answer is no, not our God. You know, I see sometimes people from time to time that say, you know, please help, God bless. I don't see so many signs of will work for food. And, and, and throughout history, throughout biblical history at least, God tends to pick busy people. I mean, Gideon was threshing wheat, Moses was tending sheep. Saul was working on his father's farm. David was tending sheep. Amos was gathering fruit. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were in the middle of fishing. Matthew even was collecting taxes. The only exception that we see is Nathaniel, who was sitting under the shade tree, and it was probably because he was just taking a break from his work. And so the next head of this message, then, is is the realms of work, which which all of you can probably already guess, right? And so, well, the first one is, of course, going to be physical work, what we tend to think of originally, because of things like, your you know, uh, work, the sweat of your brow by your field, and we tend to use a lot of uh, agricultural terms in Scripture, at least Jesus does, and so, which makes sense, because, you know, they don't have things like Twitter, or the internet, or Google, and stuff, so how can you use those illustrations? People... Wouldn't understand, and so the first one, of course, physical work. Ecclesiastes nine ten. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Here's the paraphrase for that: Work now while you can, because eventually you're going to die. Great encouragement, right? Uh, may, maybe you're one of them that says, Well, Pastor, I hate my job. Well, good, work now, because eventually you're going to die. <laughs> and so go ahead and hate your job if you want to. Eventually it ends. And so as we think about physical work, think about Jesus. He was a carpenter's son. In those days, it is unthinkable to think that Jesus was not in the shop working as a carpenter, it would be normal. After a young man was 12 years old, he was no longer in the home in Jewish culture. He would be kicked out of the home, basically, and he would have to go and learn the trade. And most, like most young boys today, they would be okay with going there before they were 12. They would want to go younger than that. And they would want to fiddle around and carve things and do things in the shop with Joseph, the carpenter. And so Jesus was a carpenter's son. Jesus tells parables about the man with the laborers who asks them all the time, why have you been standing here all day? Remember, he goes back and he goes back and he goes back and by the end of the day, he's like, what in the world have you guys been doing? And they said, well, nobody's asked us to work. And he was like, well, then come on. And they work for an hour. Paul was a tent maker the whole time he was in ministry. He did that to support Ministry. And so there's physical work, and of course there's mental work too, right? And so for those of us who have physical demanding jobs, hey, praise the Lord. But there's others who have mentally demanding jobs. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that's not a perfect example of mental work, but I, but I want to tie it in for you. We as Christians have mental work to do then, do we not? We as Christians have a mental job to do. We ought to be renewing our mind. That is work. It takes time. It takes practice. I mean, to memorize scripture is difficult for all of us, right? Are you working at that? How many scriptures have you memorized this year? If you feel convicted by that, talk to my wife. She's got this cool thing that we're sort of doing um, that they mail you bracelets. And on the bracelet is is different uh, statements of the the Bible verse. So you can wear that and you can work on that throughout the the week. There's little three by five cards. There's little stuff that you can do. There's there's apps. There's an app for this, okay? There's apps for memorizing scripture. One of my favorites is called Fighter Verse. Uh, It's put out by, I think, John Piper's church. And there's ways that you can do that. They make it to song. They make it through memory stuff. You can quiz yourself. You can have then a bank of scriptures that you've memorized and go back through and fill in the blank of those things. That's work. It is for me. Psalm 77.12, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. When you read scripture, are you reading scripture just to check the box? Or are you spending time thinking through and marinating on the text? That takes work. And so there's the tie-in with mental work. Or maybe you just have mental work to do. Maybe your job is like mine, where you sit a lot, and it takes reading, or it takes praying or it takes i'm having trouble i guess relating to you i guess now i need to get out more but (laughs) maybe you're an accountant or you are a software developer or you have other not physically maybe demanding jobs but mentally demanding jobs scripture says come let us reason together says the lord I want you to think of the many scholars and teachers, the commentators, the preachers, Calvin, Owen, Luther, Spurgeon, Piper, MacArthur, Baxter, Sproul, others that have spent their lives in mental work for your spiritual growth, which, of course, brings me to the last one, spiritual work. And, and I guess you're right, there's a little bleed over here, but just, you know, it's my sermon. So this is the third point of this section, spiritual work and so we see that in John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. That's what Jesus is telling them. And, and so, so I've, I've twisted it on you a little bit here. And so we're going to mash both the mental, the spiritual, and the physical all in one. These are fruits that we are doing. These are real physical things that we are doing that is also a part of spiritual work. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And I didn't put this on for me. I'm just saying in general that this, again, we talked about the miraculousness of this, your elders, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers, your mothers or fathers, the other folks you listen to, The preachers and teachers, the books you read, the authors, they labor for you in spiritual work. You ought to, as a Christian, be laboring for one another, right? The one another's. How do we practice the fruits of the Spirit if it's not with one another? Or with those other slothly people out there? Jesus said that we should pray for such workers because they are few. Paul made sure that his physical work was done so that he could be of some spiritual work to the kingdom. He wasn't a tent maker because he liked making tents. He made tents so they wouldn't have to take a collection for those that he was ministering to. In fact, at times, they even wanted to do a collection, and he was like, no, I got this, bro, thank you. But instead, give your money to those who are suffering in Jerusalem or these other churches. And so he did take collections, but it was often not for him. And so I hope to bring you some encouragement. If I, if I haven't already, I want to talk to you about the results of work. Because we're commanded to do this, right? We're, we're commended by this, but what are some of the results? Well, well firstly, just very uh, foremostly, a simple provision. We sort of covered this already, but I, I want to dive into these three. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10 says, uh, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's what I talked about before. And then in First Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see, the results of work is provision. I mean, if you've, if you've ever done this, then, then you're gonna you're you're gonna be able to relate. This is the season, right now, currently we're in it of uh, leaf management satisfaction. Do you do you, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> None of us really like it in the moment, but when you get done, do you not experience leaf management satisfaction? Because I, I know that I do. Now, what if you had to earn your living as a leaf-managing professional? And so, however it is that you do earn your living. Remember, we are commanded to work, and I just talked about God would commend that. There was a time when we were down in seminary, and uh, I was in between jobs, and the way that we were doing seminaries we were not taking out any student loans we were going to we were going to work our way through and so i had to have a job to be able to pay for that next semester of schooling and uh, we were doing good up until then but there's also there's other things right so we had at least one child at this point maybe two i don't remember um we were renting there were other things that we had to do groceries you know all that stuff aside from schooling and I distinctly remember when we got, when we had that budget conversation and I said, well, maybe I'll be taking this next semester off of school. Um, and that was a hard decision, but it was a decision we had to make because remember the promise that I made to her, right? Um, so the school was not, I promise, uh, food and shelter and clothing was a promise. And so that was my priority. Uh, well, during that time that we were off, we had friends from up here in Michigan, the, and, and, and we don't always share our burdens with everybody. Um, we, we tend to try to live a, a George Mueller kind of a life where we just, we just pray uh, for God to provide, and, and he does. And so during that time, we had somebody mail us a check for $800, I think is what it was, right? Um, and they said, we were blessed. We, we were blessed in our career or whatever. Somebody got a bonus or a raise, and we knew that you guys were down there doing that, and we love you, and we support you. And... Um, and we just felt God laying it on our heart that, that, that you could use this and so we're going to give you that. There's provision. The results of work. Now, that was not the result of my work. But somebody else was able to provide for us in the body of Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Christ was able to provide a need for us because of their work. And I can tell you, that that brought peace. 1 Thessalonians says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. There is peace in doing what you're called to do, in doing it to the glory of God, and in just living the quiet, simple life. I don't know what happened to this idea of this American dream, right? You you own your house and you white well, pick a fence and you've got two and a half kids, however that works, and you've got the dog, unless you're our family and you'll trade the dog for the other half of that kid, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but uh we tend to want more than that. We tend to not want to live quietly, we tend to not want to mind our own affairs, but that's what we were instructed to do. Proverbs the soul of the slugbird craves and gets nothing. There is no peace there because there is constant craving. He craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. With provisions there is peace. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to make a statement and you can rebuke me for it later. Uh, But I'm, I'm guessing... Most women, when they want a man, one of the number one things I think that they want is somebody who's going to protect and provide, because there's a level of security. And I'm I'm glad that that is all Elisa wants, because as I continue to age, I'm less and less attractive all the time. And again, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say when there is financial instability in a marriage, y'all are going to fight. I mean, I have not been proved wrong on that yet. And then the reason is, is because there's no peace there. Now, when the bank is full, y'all may still fight because y'all are sinners, right? And even if the bank is full, y'all still might fight because one of you wants to buy this and the other one wants to buy that because we're not aspiring to live quietly and mind our own business, right? We want to keep up with the Joneses. But there is peace. There's peace with God. There's peace with men. And, and even maybe more importantly, that there's peace with yourself, knowing that you are doing what God is calling you to do as you are seeking to work to his glory. Last one is going to be pleasure. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? Oh, sorry. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Did you know that you can get so good at your craft that you actually derive pleasure from engaging in that craft? Did you hear me this morning when I said, I can't wait to preach? Now, I'm not saying I'm so good at my craft that I derive pleasure from it. But there is a sense in that, in fulfilling God's call on my life, there is pleasure being experienced from me as I get to do that which I believe God has created me to do. And if you've ever been in one of those things, you know that. Some of you, have, have the, some of you don't get to do for as a career what you work at. Some of you have a hobby that you work at, and it's still work. Often our hobbies are work, and yet we derive pleasure from that. And it says in Scripture here, others can derive pleasure. Pleasure from our work. Look at this skillful man. I think of those who had to have been handpicked to then carve and do the gold overlay and and the folks that did the the stitching and the embroidery on the things that were going into the temple. They did not pick Joe Nobody to do the carving, right? Looking like a bunch of third grade ice sculptures, okay? No, no. They picked and in fact I believe their name is recorded in Scripture, you'll have to look it up. They picked I don't know his name. I should have had this ready for the sermon. Still having pleasure, so whatever. So you look it up. Find the guy's name. They had his he's recorded in Scripture. We want so and so the carver to be the one to do this. And we want so and so the gold inlayer to and we want so and so we want those who dye the purple linens and who do the embroidery. We want those who are well known throughout Jerusalem to come and do these things. Work can become enjoyable, and it produces pleasure for ourselves and for others. And then even more than that, believe this, brothers, work is pleasing to God when it's done in a heart of worship to his glory, even if it's digging dishes. And so that brings us to, I think, the, the final head of our message today. Not I think, I know, I'm, I'm aware. Uh, this is the rest from works because one day, beloved, we will have rest from work. Now, rest from work, you have to understand, is through faith, and faith is not gained by work. Galatians 3.2, it's not going to be up there. I'll read it for you, and then I'll move on to Ephesians. That is going to be up there. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so I I want you to be very aware that entering into the kingdom this morning, and, and I hope that you already knew that, but if you didn't, let me be the one to tell you, entering into the kingdom is not by works. I'm glad that you tithe regularly. I'm glad that you show up regularly. I'm glad that you volunteer for the trunk or treat or for raking the leaves. I'm glad that you do things in ministry here. I'm glad that you do all of those things. I'm glad that you faithfully witness to your family. But all of those good things, and they are things that we should do, are not things that earn our salvation. It is by faith, not works. And this is the one you're probably thinking of because I know you guys know this. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. However, we are saved by faith, not works. However, I'm going to posit that works are the fruits of faith. Now, in your notes, they're different from what I have on here because I did this later. Your notes say the fruit of faith. So you can, you can still fill in the blankets It's the same. They're, they're all gonna be Fs. I'm gonna transliterate them just like a good preacher should so that you can remember them. So the fruit of faith are our works. Again, in Ephesians, by the way, verse 10. I don't know if you noticed that, but verses eight and nine of chapter two is what we just read. And then verse 10, and so Paul, we're on good footing when we're, when we're talking in the context of the way Paul preaches. He says, for we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he's saying in both hands, your salvation is not based on your works, but because you are saved, you ought to be producing something for the Lord. You ought to be fruitful for the Lord. Luke 10.2, we talked about this before, but Jesus himself says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Real and true saving faith will produce works. But also, it has to be done by Christ. This is one of those weird, I can't really understand it, and we won't really understand it till we're in heaven kind of thing. Firstly, the finished work of Christ on the cross as our substitutional atonement, that is the work that saves us. We have our faith and our trust in, in that, right? But also, the work that you are currently doing for the Lord ought to be Christ doing them in you or so it, I'm going to make a statement and you guys can just either laugh or you can raise your hand or whatever. How many of y'all's grandmas are like my grandma? Is there a fake bowl of fruit at their house? Like rubber fruit or, or, in, or in my case, wooden fruit that's been painted? It's even worse than the plastic stuff. Any of y'all have that? Have y'all ever seen that stuff? The fake fruit? Surely you have, right? Fake fruit is what we get as Christians when we produce Good works through our own power. Real fruit is what we get as Christians when he is the vine and we are the branches and through the sap of his Holy Spirit running through our veins, then fruit is produced on the vine. John seventeen four says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So he has accomplished it outside of space and time, but is still accomplishing it in you. Christ accomplished his dying work on the cross, his resurrected work from the grave, but he is finishing his work through us. And one day, Christ will come again and he will take us, his bride, to be with him forever in heaven, to live with him, and then we will have rest from our work. So, in closing, Ben Franklin says uh, do not put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Now, there's a lot of things we can do today. So I don't like Ben's statement. Uh, so I'm going to change it. I'm going to say, don't put off until tomorrow what you should do today. So I want you to, again, in your mind, or if you have a copy of God's Word and you're still there, good for you, Proverbs 24, 30. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And he says, then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. You see, my beloved brothers, I want for you today to no longer lack sense if you have lacked sense in this area. I want for the thorns and thistles of the flesh to not be overgrown, but rather for the Lord to expose them so that in his spirit and by your physical work, by your mental work, by your spiritual work, you are rooting them out and pitching them into the fire where they belong. And beloved brothers and sisters, I want you to build your walls back up because outside, Satan is a roaring lion seeking one to devour. And the walls are there of doctrine of gospel-centered grace, of studying and memorizing scripture so that we would have the tools and the defense. This poor fool is going to seek a harvest and find nothing. Woe. Woe to us who think we are saved and think we are doing spiritual work and then in the end stand before the Lord and he says, depart from me for I did not know you. Woe to us. So, as we talk about sloth, as we talk about being sluggardly, it is my prayer that as we look at this, all of us would see and consider and receive instruction. Because lazy living will produce a life that is filled with temptations and that ultimately leads to destruction. There is nothing cute about slothfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Help us to take a lesson from you. You have told us to take your yoke and to learn from you, for your burden is light. Lord Jesus, in that you have said that you have a yoke and you have a burden, and these are the instruments of work. We understand that these are not simply works of the flesh, but works of the Spirit. So therefore, we ask that you would help us to be good and faithful servants, ever looking for how we can serve you as master, not merely standing on the wall saying, well, no one has called us. It is in our fallen nature that we are tempted to be lazy, and therefore we recognize our need for your sanctifying work in our hearts. So help us. Help us in your name we pray. Amen.